Hey everyone, it's time to play Primaries or Game of Thrones, the delightful new game in which I describe a situation and you try to guess, is it something that happened in the primaries or a scene from HBO's fantasy series, Game of Thrones? Let's get started. Okay, a sociopathic troglodyte tortures a man so badly that the man becomes his unthinking, zombie-like slave. Is it one, Ramsey Bolton cutting off body parts from Theon Greyjoy until he turns him into the lackey Reek? Is it two, Donald Trump at the podium last night hurling insults at Chris Christie while the governor who endorsed him was right there in the room? Or is it three, time to start digging a tunnel from your backyard to Montreal? That was fun, wasn't it? Let's try another. With a hideous shrieking sound, a dragon breathes fire above an army of mindless castrati. Is it one, Hillary Clinton's victory speech? Is it two, Daenerys Targaryens marching past the Sea of Dothraki? Or is it three, enough to make you rip your ears off with your bare hands, then bury them in the earth? then salt the earth, then pour acid on the salt, hoping you never have to hear anything ever again. Hey, you're doing great. Let's try one more. Every time you harness your dreams to a person of virtue and accomplishment, he is unexpectedly destroyed, leaving the path to power open to a motley collection of tyrants and madmen. Are we, one, living inside the imagination of George R.R. R. Martin? Are we, two, watching Fox News on a Tuesday night during campaign season? Or are we three, screwed as a nation beyond the possibility of ever being unscrewed? That's it for today. Write your answers down on a postcard and address it to us here at Primaries or Game of Thrones, Little Bunker Under the Ground, somewhere in the wilderness above Manitoba. It's sure to reach me eventually. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. It's a series. Come on. I think it's good. It's like this. I could have gone on forever. I just didn't want to take up the entire show. All right. Let us let us talk about our sponsor before we get started, the Hillsdale College. What if it was a requirement for every person in public office to sleep with a copy of the Constitution under their pillow? What if you then crept into their room and hammered a copy into their head using one of those long flooring nails? Oh, actually, wait, that's not the copy. I just, I, that's just my imagination. I'm sorry. What if instead of a simple random drug test, we have simple random constitutional rights test? If you want to fully understand the Constitution and your constitutional rights, I encourage you to check out the free online course, Constitution 101 at Hillsdale College. This is an online course. No professor will show up at your door. If one does, give him some warm milk and send him back. You can sign up for this at Hillsdale College's Constitution 101. It's free. It'll show up in your inbox, uh, a, a, an ongoing lesson on the Constitution. Sign up at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. I said backslash before. It is not backslash. I hope many of you can figure that out. If you're smart enough to figure out the Constitution, you will know that it's a slash hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. Know your rights. Know your constitution. It's that wrinkly brown paper that they're trying to destroy. You'll learn all about it. All right. So much news. So much is happening. Barack Obama, just uh, as I was walking in here, basically, Barack Obama has named his Supreme Court nominee. And, of course, we have all the important numbers. The most important number being that my, my Trump video is now up around 6 million hits. I am now, <laughs> you know, I am now the Rebecca Black of political commentary. Remember that, remember that girl who sang Friday? You know, it's Friday. I get in the backseat. You get in. <laughs> I'm now the version of that. I, I am a virus. It's like they said, I am a walrus. I am a virus. It doesn't sound as good, actually. <laughs> I am a walrus sounds better. I think I think Trump was actually answering my 
video last night as he destroyed everybody, won every, he's, he's tied in, it's so close in Missouri, they may have a recount, but it's not a winner-take-all state anyway, so they'll divide up, uh, so so Cruz did well there, he, he actually, he, he picked up some guys, he, he fell about another hundred delegates behind, it seems like, they're all told, but play just the first 30 seconds of my video. I'm angry, and so I'm voting for Donald Trump. I'm angry about illegal immigration, and so I'm voting for Donald Trump because he said he would build a huge wall to keep out just the sort of undocumented workers he hired to clear the ground for Trump Tower in New York City, and because he said he'd force all the illegals to leave the country and then let them all back in, and he said he'd limit the number of skilled workers that can come here, and then he said he wouldn't do that, and then he secretly told the New York Times he didn't mean any of it, so I don't really know what the hell he's saying, but I'm angry, so I'm voting for it. All right, so now here's Trump at his victory speech in Florida last night. One of the uh, broadcasters was saying, is there anger? And I said to Messina, I'm supposed to say, no, there's not. We love the way things are working. We love the deal you made with Iran. It's wonderful. You give them $150 billion, we get nothing. We love all the deals. The trade deals are wonderful. You lose $500 billion a year with China. We lose $58 billion a year in terms of in terms of imbalance, it's a total imbalance. We don't make good deals anymore. We don't win anymore. As a country, we don't win anymore. And they asked, is there anger from your people? There seemed to be, and I said, there is anger. They're not angry people, but they want to see the country properly run. They want to see borders. They want to see good health care. They want to see things properly taken care of. They want our military rebuilt. Our military is in a very bad state. They want it rebuilt. Very, very importantly, and they want the Second Amendment, by the way, protected and protected strongly. And that's going to happen. So I hit a nerve. I hit a nerve. <laughs> you can say you can say I had no effect, but you don't you don't throw yourself under a train to stop it. You just throw yourself under a train to annoy the train. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> but you know, that was classic Trump. I mean, because what he does is he validates your anger. He tells you what you're angry about. And you sit there, I mean, even I sit there listening to him going, yeah, yeah, I'm, I am angry. I, 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 I. But he doesn't say anything ever about what he's going to, it's going to be great. I'm going to get the greatest people. Frankly, we're going to make the greatest deals. We're going to make great deals. Everything's going to be great. It is complete. And, and people just keep falling for it. It was like that, it was like that scene from HUD we played yesterday. Play that, just that little clip, that little piece of it. You can talk a man into trusting you. And a woman into one. And then I got it made, ain't I? <laughs> that's, that's Trump all over. I, got it. I, I don't know what I'm saying, but they're believing me. I got it made. <laughs> he's, like, he's having a great time. And, I, I, well, I'll, I'll get back to what I think is going to happen next. But let, let's also, we have to listen to Hillary. Speaking of people who sound like the movies, play, play the Hillary cut number seven. Cut number seven. Thank you, Florida. Thank you, North Carolina. Thank you, Ohio. Okay, now, now. I'm tell everyone who walks in this building that in two R Rossi, you are nothing but a whore. Is this the superintendent? Yes, I want you to know, sir, that you have a whore living in two R. Rossi, Janice Rossi, do you hear me? <laughs> That's Susan from Goodfellas. <laughs> she sounds exactly. Somebody tweeted that yesterday. Somebody said said they sound exactly alike, and they do. Can imagine the next four years of listening to that voice? It's going to be like having that woman buzzing your house every day. You know, there's and you got a hole in your building. I was like, thank you, Ohio. <laughs> 
it's, just, it's awful. And so now she's running against Trump. Play her her victory speech. She she won everything. She just I think basically. Bernie is done, but Bernie doesn't care if he's done because he's not in it to win it. He's in it to annoy and to be a power broker and to establish basically a socialist wing of the Socialist Party. I mean, it's like how far left can they go before they come back the other side, I guess. But but now she's running against Trump. So here's her, her here's her national the national security part of her speech. We live in a complex and, yes, a dangerous world. Protecting America's national security can never be an afterthought. Our commander-in-chief has to be able to defend our country, not embarrass it. Engage our allies, not alienate them. Defeat our adversaries, not embolden them. When we hear a candidate for president call for rounding up 12 million immigrants, banning all Muslims from entering the United States, when he embraces torture, that doesn't make him strong, it makes him wrong. You know, when she started that and she said, we have to defeat our enemies, not embarrass ourselves or something, engage our allies, uh, not distance them. Uh, defeat our enemies, not embolden them. That's what it was. Defeat our enemies. Not I thought she was running against Obama. You know, <laughs> like, you know. I mean, Obama. Has, Obama has left. Is going to leave the Middle East in flames. I mean, he is going to leave the Middle East just a. You know, the only thing that the good that has happened there is Putin going in and bombing the the best people there to stop the war. So he's bombing the wrong side and keeping Assad in power, but, you know, at least somebody's doing something. I mean, he has left the Middle East in flames. So everything she said could have gone against Obama until she started in with the stuff that Trump said. So now she's running against Trump. Very, very interesting race. Uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute. But before that, one more, one more uh, primaries of Game or Game of Thrones. A little person risks everything on one battle and is destroyed. So is that Ty Tyron Lannister uh, in the trial by combat scene, or was that Marco Rubio in Florida? <laughs> it's all Game of Thrones. Everything. It's, it's not just me. I'm not just, uh, so, so Rubio's gone. Marco finally, finally, finally got the word. It was like a Rube Goldberg machine. You know, those, those little things like mousetrap, you know, like, like a, the word was dropped in here, and then this hit that, and a ball went up in the air, landed on a lever. The lever threw a man. He did a somersault, landed in a pool. The cage came rattling down on top of Marco Rubio said, and it was like, oh, maybe I can't win this anymore. But first, he had to, you know, people with small egos don't run for president. So first, he had to be utterly humiliated in his own state. Now, don't listen to people who say, oh, his career is over and all this stuff. But Ten minutes from now, as I'm speaking, people are forgetting, you know, what, Rubio, uh, yeah, well, he was, a, he was a handsome little guy, you know. <laughs> it was like, they don't know, people don't know what's going on. So it's like, it's not, it's not going to end his career or anything. But he did, you know, it was like everybody was telling him. Everybody was saying to him, you're not going to win, you're going to be embarrassed. Now he's embarrassed and, you know, did he cost Cruz some states? He might have, he might have. You don't know, you don't know who people would have voted for if he dropped out. But he gave his speech and his his valedictory farewell speech, and it was his best speech, of course. And everybody always says, you know, why do they they give their best speeches, you know, and their best? If he had only been like that the whole time, but it's not true. It's not true. A valedictory speech, first of all, valedictory tone is an 
inherently uplifting. As you're saying farewell, a president's best, you know, you, they always quote presidents as they gave their farewell addresses and all this stuff. Farewell addresses are just inherently uplifting because the guy's looking back. He can see a whole plane of what's behind him. He can take it all in and summarize everything that happened. And he doesn't have anything to lose. He doesn't have anything to lose, so he can basically speak with, you know, malice toward none and, you know, and say what he has to say. So let's take a, a little listen to what Rubio said. Play uh, uh, number two, where he talks about basically what is happening to, in the country and basically uh, gives a, Parthian sh a, a parting shot to Donald Trump. The politics of resentment against other people will not just leave us a fractured party. They're going to leave us a fractured nation. They're going to leave us as a nation where people literally hate each other because they have different political opinions. That we find ourselves at this point is not surprising, for the warning signs have been here for close to a decade. In 2010, a Tea Party wave carried me and others into office because not enough was happening, and that Tea Party wave gave Republicans a majority in the House. But nothing changed. In 2014, those same voters gave Republicans a majority in the Senate, and still nothing changed. And I blame some of that on the conservative movement, a movement that is supposed to be about our principles and our ideas. But I blame most of it on our political establishment. A political establishment that for far too long has looked down at conservatives, looked down at conservatives as simple-minded simple people, looked down at conservatives as simply bomb throwers, a political establishment that for far too long has taken the votes of conservatives for granted. And a political establishment that has grown to confuse cronyism for capitalism and big business for free enterprise. Well, he's got that right. I mean, and it works both ways. I think the conservative, you know, uh, movement has demonized them as they have felt insulted, as the establishment insulted the conservatives. The conservatives demonized the establishment until basically if you weren't some kind of ideal uh, platonic idea of a conservative, you were a traitor. <clears throat> you know, I've talked a lot about Paul Ryan, a guy I admire and like being called a traitor and, you know, everything that they do. But it's just true. Uh, Rubio gets it exactly right. They have ignored us. They did it on purpose. They told me, one of the most powerful guys in Congress told me they were going to do it. He told me they were going to use the Tea Party and ignore them. And they did. And this is the wages of sin. This is the tide. You know, you bottle the tide. You open one day. You open the, the bottle comes open, and the tide comes pouring out. And that's what's happening. And here is Rubio at his best, looking forward to what we need, what kind of conservative movement we need. America needs a vibrant conservative movement, but one that's built on principles and on ideas, not on fear, not on anger, not on preying on people's frustrations. A conservative movement, a conservative movement that believes in the principles of our Constitution, that protects our rights and limits the power of government. A conservative movement committed to the cause of free enterprise, the only economic model where everyone can climb without anyone falling. A conservative movement that believes in a strong national defense and a conservative movement that believes in the strong Judeo-Christian values that are the formation of our nation. So there he is leaving uh, a trail for others to follow to remind people of what we were trying to do when Trump destroyed it all. I mean, this is what, you know, we were trying to find somebody to carry that banner, just as he described it, uh, before Trump sort of blundered in and broke the shop.
Let us pause here for just a minute to remind us of our other wonderful sponsor, Reagan.com. We love our sponsors. We have great sponsors. I mean, this is like, you know, this is actually fun. Reagan.com is a system for keeping your privacy intact, which is important because everybody is after your information. Even I, if you look down right now, my hand is in your pocket, stealing your wallet. And if it's not me, and you, I mean, look at me, you can't try, you look at my face, you can't trust me. But it, it's not just me. It's also big tech companies who kind of, they come into your email, they steal the, the information out of your email, and then they send you advertisements that you don't want. And of course, our friends in the government. Now we know the government would never, ever, ever abuse your information. They just want to know, you know, who you're talking to, what you believe in, what your religion is, what your color is. So... In case you're doing something wrong, they just want to correct you if you're doing something wrong. Don't let them do it. What you do is you take back your privacy by getting an email account at Reagan.com. It'll say your name at Reagan.com. It won't actually say your name. It'll say your name. I mean, never mind. But go to Reagan.com. You get a private email address. Not only do you get to proudly share President Reagan's name with all your liberal relatives and friends, with every email you send them, it'll be like a nail driven into their heart, which is great. Great. It's great. But not only that, they promise that they will ne- your emails will never be scanned, they'll never take information out of your emails, and they'll, they'll never share your information with any third party, so you are secure. Go to ReaganPrivacy.com right now, secure your personal private email address, and if you do it now, you get two free months. Two free months? Yeah, two free months. Not bad. ReaganPrivacy.com. So let's return to this idea for a minute of Rubio should have dropped out earlier. And of course, I'm a Ted Cruz fan. I would have settled happily for Rubio, but I'm a Ted Cruz fan. And I, sure, but I'd like to see him drop out and give Cruz a shot. Absolutely. Do I know that would have, those votes would have gone to Cruz? No. I mean, because it's such a weird election. Rubio is a conservative. But by the end of this, Rubio was like, everybody was going, well, he's not conservative enough. You know, he's not conservative. So, you know, it's really hard to know where those votes would have gone. Most of the liberal votes are going to Trump because Trump is a liberal. Trump is a leftist, so they're going to Trump. I don't know where the votes for Rubio would have gone. But more importantly, more importantly, if you're going to win, you got to win on the field you're playing on. You know, that's the fact. That's the fact. Ted Cruz can't say, and he never did say to his credit, you know, he called for people to unite. He wanted Rubio to drop out. But he's got to win in that field. That's his job. You know, nobody, you can't, you can't go into a fight and say, uh, could I have a shorter person, please? A guy who doesn't have a lot, you got to fight the guy you're fighting. That's it. And that's, that's what politics is. So, you know, this woulda, coulda, shoulda thing that we're all doing. I mean, look, it's a heartbreaking race. It's a heartbreaking race. When you have a guy like Cruz talking about getting rid of the EPA, which so needs to be done, getting rid of the Department of Education, which we so need to do, getting rid of the IRS, which would be bliss, it would be heaven on earth. When you have a guy talking about that stuff, nobody has has come, no major candidate has come out and talked about that stuff in a presidential race forever. We can only hope that it's leaving some kind of trace because Trump has blown it all away with nothing, with nothing, with I'm going to make good deals, I'm going to get big people, we're going to be very good about that. That's one of my favorite Trump quotes, you know. I think they should put that up over the Oval, if he wins, they should put that over the Oval Office, I'm going to be very good about that. You know, I mean, that's what blew it away. It's heartbreaking, but it's the fact. This is what's happening, this is the, the, 
This is the arena in which Cruz or anybody else has to win, and Trump is winning, and I think he's going to go on to win. I think a lot of this talk where people are starting to do calculations, can we get to an open convention? Maybe. Maybe we will. I mean, the math is so up in the air. Who knows? But the fact is, as he wins, he'll start to win more. I said this a long time ago. As he wins, people are going to jump on that train. You know, people think if you're a winner, a winner is a winner, and people lo- love a winner, and they'll follow after him. It's a sad fact of human nature, but that's what human beings do. They get on the train. So I think I think it's going to happen for Donald Trump. That's you know, just looking at right now. I think my storyteller spidey sense tells me there's still a big surprise in this story. There is still some big surprise coming down the pike. I don't know if it's the FBI report on Hillary, maybe Hillary's health. I do not know what it is, but just something tells me that we have not seen the last bump in the road. So I'm not making <clears throat> any predictions. But the thing that is just really interesting to me now In the New York Times, a former newspaper, there was an article today saying that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and as I said, Hillary Clinton also cleaned up big last night, are winning votes, but they're not winning hearts. And the article, just reading a little bit of it, says, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton's resounding triumphs on Tuesday masked a profound, historic, and unusual reality most Americans still don't like him or her. Both major parties must now confront the depth of skepticism, resistance, and distaste for their frontrunners. Distaste, good word, for their frontrunners, a sentiment that would profoundly shape a potential general election showdown between Mr. Trump and Mrs. Clinton. It goes back to this anger where everybody's so angry we're going to wind up with two candidates that we all hate, that most of us hate. I mean, there's a, there is a... Maybe 35% of people are on that Trump train, but most people just dislike him. And they may get on the train, but they're going to do it, you know, holding their nose. And the same is true of Clinton. You go to her rallies, you look at her rallies on TV, people are falling asleep, you know. So it's it's this weird thing. Plus, plus, this, this great movement for outsiders, Bernie Sanders and, you know, and Donald Trump. We're going to get two of the most inside insiders who have ever been inside. I mean, Hillary Clinton is so connected that she's like, you know, she's like a neuron, you know, connected to every other cell in the body politic. And so is Trump. So is Trump. This idea that he's an outsider because he's not a politician. He is so inside. He has made deals with everybody. He's given money to everybody. And people say, well, he's used the system and now he wants to change it. Uh, you know, you've been watching too much TV. You know, that's a character on TV. That is not a description of a real person. You know, that's not. He's played the system. He'll continue to play the system. He's lied to everybody. He's lying to you. But listen, you know, 99% of the time in life, life goes on. You know, every now and again, there's a war, there's a holocaust, you know, you find a, a lump on your head and you're gone. You know, that's it. That, you know, every, eventually you die. But most days, life goes on. We're going to have a bad president. If Hillary and Trump are running against each other, our next president is going to be bad. You know, and, and don't tell me one is worse than the other. You know, I think either one of them will be bad. But your life will go on. You'll still have your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You'll still have your children. You know, I hope they're healthy. You know, you'll still, hopefully you have a job. Hopefully you can pay your rent. And that's going to be the stuff that forms your life. And there'll be a fight to fight. That's why you're made. That's why you're here. You're here to fight the good fight. You know, if you're fighting against Trump, you'll be fighting against Trump. If you're fighting against Clinton, you'll be fighting against Clinton. Just You just got to stand for freedom. And just the things that you say echo down the ages, you know, so that people remember. Even even if you say them just to your kids, even if you say them just to your friends, you're passing on those values that Rubio was talking about in his valedictory speech. Let us briefly turn to, this is a, st- a developing story, so I don't know that much uh, about it, but it's uh, it seems that Obama is going to pick Merrick Garland to, for, is going to be his Supreme Court pick. 
Uh, he's 63. He's a Washington, D.C. U.S. District Court of Appeals judge. And the word, what you're going to hear now, you're going to hear two things. One, he's going to be called a moderate in every single mainstream news story. He's not. He's not a moderate. Okay, like their argument that he's a moderate is that he once made a decision that made it impossible for Guantanamo prisoners to be tried in the United States. So they're going to say, wow, you know, that's that's a conservative opinion. Well, ridiculous. You know, that's that is this one opinion. The other thing their other thing they're going to pull is because he's on the U.S. Court of Appeals. They're going to say, oh, you know, he he's turned down most criminal appeals when criminals have come and appealed to me. He's turned them down. So he's he's really conservative in that regard. Well. Most criminal appeals are turned down because most criminal appeals are pro forma. You get a certain number of appeals. They go up to the court. You know, the court turns them down because mostly it's, a you know, like, yeah, I did kill her. But, you know, like she was mean, you know, I you know, it's like but but my lawyer was no good. But it, it rained that day. You know, I mean, it's like that's what most criminal appeals are. He's not a he's not a moderate. He is especially harsh with gun rights. Somebody said he's liberal on gun rights, but if he were liberal on gun rights, he'd leave people alone to have their guns. He is, you know, he is a plant being put in there uh, to to get at your Second Amendment rights. That's why he's being in there. And the other thing about him is there they'll have a lot of quotes of conservatives praising him. Why? Because in 2010, he was one of the people and one of the names being brooded about instead of uh, Elena Kagan. So conservatives were saying, well, He's he's bad, but he's not Ellen Kagan. You know, he's not all right. You know, he's he's okay. And Orrin Hatch, I think, stupidly said uh, he would be he would be okay, but Obama's not going to name him or something like that. So this is this is going to be a sell. This is look, look. Obama is a really, really, really smart politician, and what you'll notice he's doing. He ran as a centrist. He governed as a leftist. Now he's going out as centrist. He's going out with this kind of like, oh, it's so sad, this, you know, this mean, uh, you know, dialogue we're having now, the Trump stuff. It's so, I mean, this is a guy who sent out his vice president to say Republicans wanted to put blacks back in chains. This is the guy who said about opponents to his Iran deal, oh, they're making common cause with the terrorists. I'm a terrorist because I think your deal is stupid. You know, I mean, this is a guy who is, this is the guy who degraded our political conversation. It's Barack Obama who did it, and Trump's just taking advantage of it. But this, again, very, very clever pick, because now he can say, oh, you won't hear it? I, I picked a moderate, and you're not going to listen to it. Let us just hope that our Senate Republicans, our friends in the establishment, let us just hope that they stand firm and do not give this guy a hearing. That's what they have to do. If they don't do that, I think we're not only going to have Hillary Clinton as president, I think they'll be wiped out of the Senate. I won't vote for him. I mean, I think that if, if they let this guy through when they don't have to. Uh, I think they're, they're finished. Stuff I like. It's a tough day, guys. I mean, you know, what can I tell you? The news was not good, but, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be this way for a while. But, you know, it's a fight. We're all in a fight, and you got to just keep fighting. Stuff I like. The last uh, good Hollywood liberal, Paul Newman, and I've been talking about his three of his H films from the 60s. One was, what did I say, HUD, and Ombre was the other one, and this one is Harper, and all of them based on really really fine novels. This is based, Harper is based on Ross McDonald's The Moving Target. Now we're going to play the big sleep first, but hold on just a sec. This is based on Ross McDonald, one of the best second wave tough guy writers. He was essentially a kind of uh, Raymond Chandler for the new age, a much more Freudian Raymond Chandler, really, really good writer, wrote up in about Santa Barbara where I used to live. 
the moving target had his private eye, Lou Archer. They changed the name to Harper. Some people said they did it because H was Newman's uh, name. Of all the w- movies that I've been recommending this week, this is the one that dates a little because it takes place in the 60s and it's about like go- it has go-go girls in it and things like that. So it's a little old-fashioned. But you have to watch it for its referential relationship to old-time detective stories. So The Big Sleep, which is the essential Hollywood detective story with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, uh, has this opening scene where Bogart, as Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe, has just been in to see Lauren Bacall's father. He's been in this hot house that the father lives in for his health, so he's pouring sweat. And this just electric chemistry between uh, Bogart and Bacall, who got married. Bacall was like 19, he was 50, and they got married. And they were just really hot on screen, and here's their first meeting. Oh, you're a mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall, either. Next time I'll come on stilts, wear a white tie, and carry a tennis racket. I doubt if even that would help. Now, this business of Dad's, think you can handle it for him? It shouldn't be too tough. Really? I would have thought a case like that took a little effort. Not too much. What will your first step be? The usual one. I didn't know there was a usual one. Oh, sure there is. It comes complete with diagrams on page 47 of how to be a detective in 10 easy lessons, correspondence school textbook, and uh, your father offered me a drink. You must have read another one on how to be a comedian. You hear what I said about the drink? I'm quite serious, Mr. Marlowe. My father's not help yourself. (laughs) He wants that drink. All right, so now Newman is the quintessential tough guy detective moved into the 60s, right? So it's now 20, 20, 30 years later. Who is the woman who hires him? Lauren Bacall, now an older lady. She brings him in. The first thing she does is offer him a drink. So let's, let's hear it. A drink, Mr. Harper? Not before lunch, thanks. I thought you were a detective. New type. Oh. Albert Gredge is one of our lawyers. It's on his recommendation I'm hiring you. About time he threw some business my way. Hmm? I've known Albert since he was DA up here. Oh, he said you were good at finding things. Uh, my husband's... Uh, you're sitting on my robe. My husband's disappeared. Try missing persons? Well, that might mean publicity. Ralph loathes publicity. Besides, he's got an abnormal fear of the police. I simply want you to find him and tell me which female he's with. Any particular female? <laughs> I haven't the least notion. Ralph need never know about this. He'd be sure I was gathering material for divorce proceedings. Actually, I have no intention of divorcing him. I only intend to outlive him. I only want to see him in his grave. What a terrible thing to say. People in love will say anything. (laughs) People in love will say anything. It's an expertly written mystery, mystery story. And what it does is Raymond Chandler wanted to take Philip Marlowe, essentially a knight in shining armor, and put him in the corrupt L.A. of the 40s and 50s. This moves that character up into the even more corrupt, even more brutal world of of the 60s L.A. Really good detective story. There was a sequel that's not as good. But that is our Paul Newman Stuff I Like week with three films you might not have seen. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll be back again tomorrow to clean up the mess that everybody has made. See you then. 